Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of The Yacking Show. And this is the Harmony Channel, your path to wholeness. And we do that by bringing you interesting guests who help you develop and prepare for the interesting times ahead, both physically, health-wise, and spiritually. Today is no exception, but first let's introduce co-host Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And thank you all so very much for tuning in to our show. We so appreciate having you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. We're very privileged to welcome Nadine Reger to the show. Hello, Nadine. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. How are you? Very well, thank you. And Good, you're coming, thank you. You're, you're, coming, you're coming to us from all the way from New Zealand. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now, Nadine is an author. She's a speaker and trainer. She works with families from all over the world, guiding brilliant teens through the hidden challenges of being a high performer. So let's just jump right in. Nadine, how do you define, first off, a high performing teenager? And what percentage of teenagers would fall into this category? Yeah, um, high-performing teenagers mostly are related to, um, in my definition, to academics and how they do well at school. But I'm going to also go beyond this definition and include teens who are really good at something. Um, it, it can be um, a hobby, an art skill, a music skill. They're, they just have that sort of um, passion and commitment that is not there at um, at their peers. Um, would you include and, sports into that as well? Yes, yes, I would. I would. And um, they have that sort of um, characteristic that differenti- differentiates them from, from their peers mm-hmm. in that they care a lot. They care about the end result. They care about the future. They, you know, they, they just have that sort of um, um, very committed approach to to the thing that they want. And um, I really don't like labels, but like we do need to use this term just to m- make sure we reach the right people. When I say high performing, um, it it. That's why I prefer to use the label brilliant, because Mm -hmm. I feel that every teen has their own unique brilliance. It's it's they do have something that they are passionate about, that they um, they give their best to. Mm -hmm. And our our way of defining that uh, it's academics or it's, uh, you know, competitive uh, sports or competitive art or whatever sort of limits that that pool. If you know what I mean? Um, uh, you did mention percentages. It's it's like let's let's limit it to the, you know, top 20 percent or top 10 percent mm-hmm. of um, of, you know, a typical um, classroom or group. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So, first of all, I've got to say I'm really envious with you being in midsummer in the Southern Hemisphere because I live most of my life in Southern Africa, various countries, and right now I'm in Canada in the middle of winter. So it's great to hear someone from the Southern Hemisphere. But let's get back to what we should be talking about, high-performing or brilliant teenagers. So 
My question is, uh, and something that really concerns me, how does the conventional education system prevent high-achieving or brilliant students, teenagers, children from achieving their true potential? Because I believe it really does limit them. What's your thoughts on that, Nadine? Yes, so so it does limit them because our current education system is very standardized. It puts everyone in the same bucket. Uh, you know, there are levels within each classroom and they they sort of give different activities, maybe from, from my own experience, at least here for schools in New Zealand. But again, the teachers follow, you know, a strict curriculum. This this is the information that need to be um, given to, to all students. And it's the, the whole curriculum is not really meant to um, individually look at everyone and suit their needs it's mm-hmm. it's very standardized and i think that's that's where the whole problem comes is that we see everybody um as as the same when when everybody is different every student has their own needs they have their own interests um and i see like the current education system really just dumping information on everybody on in the same way regardless of um how what they want or how what's their level mm-hmm. and um and and what happens with high achievers it's it's like they either their parents need to step in to really give them the challenges that they need or they would get distracted and they would sort of become disruptors to the point uh where you know teachers would say uh you're disrupting the class no more being uh uh, what's the word? Uh, don't be a smart uh, mm-hmm. uh, cheek, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of it does it does um, make them compromise on on where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and the other thing about the education system that it has been set a very long time ago, and uh, the whole classroom. Uh, environment it's it's very outdated uh, regardless of students being high performers or not it's it's not really preparing students for the real world mm-hmm. once they enter the the workforce and the right. you know yeah and maybe mm. there are some high achievers that haven't been identified as high achievers because of the the way that the school mm-hmm. system is structured you know everybody is to fit into one box and those that are very high achieving maybe they just can't relate or and and of course they're they're labeled as maybe the slackers but in fact they could be the brilliant ones mm-hmm. in some cases would you agree with that yeah yeah Kathleen, can I jump in quick with another question I just thought about? Nadine, um, I've heard from some teachers in North America, not just Canada, USA as well, that there was something to be said of the single classroom country rural school that existed 50 and 80 years ago, where you had children spanning an age range of perhaps 10 years, all in the same class. So when they were when the teacher was teaching English, she was teaching levels 10 years apart, right? And what happened was the brighter or brilliant younger kids uh, learned so much more from the lessons that were being taught to the their older peers that they caught up to them. And some of these young kids made leaps of two or three years in, in their achievement. So what are your thoughts on that? Is there some way that we could um, reap the benefits of that idea, do you think? 
Yeah, definitely. So again, the the children learn at different paces and mm-hmm. there are children who learn at a very quick pace. Mm-hmm. And to put them in a classroom where the pace is controlled mm-hmm. is limiting them. What If we can really identify um, which kids are learning at a faster rate than others and just give them the you know, more opportunities, more challenges. There's definitely room for improvement there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I, I do want to say that um, it's not blaming the teachers here. We're not blaming the, the teachers because the teachers are working with the education system. Sure. They, they are working with the curriculum that we have. I always tell parents that it's on you. It's the parents, really. The parents are the ones who know their kids well. They need to um, be aware of how their kid learns right. and give them this opportunity and if it and it might include you know uh, something extra to school or maybe homeschooling or like there are so many options out there sure. it's up to the parent to really um, take on this responsibility and see what fits the the child well so mm-hmm. so what advice do you have for them over and above what you just said then in terms of if they have a high performing teenager, what, where should they start? Where, 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 where do they start with all of that? So if, if they do know their kid well, so, so that's the first step, knowing their kid very well, knowing their, um, you know, their, their son or daughter's interests, what sparks their interests as well. And um, looking at the, you know, looking at their kid in in a holistic way. So not just ch- checking, okay, you're very good at this, but what else do you need? What skills do you need so that whatever you're good at can, you know, shine out? So it always comes down to that balance of, okay, you have that intellectual abilities here. Okay, let's see, do you have the social or emotional intelligence skills over here so that you can... Um, you know, whatever talent you have so that you can bring more to it. Mm-hmm. And um, and and oftentimes this is where the gaps lie. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the kid is very bright in, in one subject or in one uh, topic. However, they lack a lot of other soft skills or um, a lot of confidence sometimes. Self-confidence mm-hmm. is a skill. So it's, it's sort of looking at it in a holistic way and um, seeing where are the gaps and addressing those gaps. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on your website, you, and you talk about teaching resilience and you teach resilience. So it's, it's my observation from my advanced age in my 70s and having been at school 60 years ago that overprotective parenting since the 1980s has prevented a lot of children from developing resilience. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the overprotection is, is um, it sort of fires back on, on the parent. Um, in the end, you can't protect your, your child from the real world and mm-hmm. no one is living in a bubble. And as we can see, like these days with uh, the Internet and everything being done online and the uh, availability of all information, you really cannot protect your child um, 
in in the way that uh, you think oh, you're just going to shield them from all the bad things out there. The the better approach is to actually talk about everything, spread awareness and uh, spread the right awareness. It's it's like, okay, these things exist and what can we do about them? Mm-hmm. Instead of letting your child learn about these things on their own and then uh, have no clue on how to do handle them or, or look for Google or YouTube to find answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... And again, with, um, you know, whatever parents try to do, there's, it's, it's life, like life has its challenges. And we've all seen during the past two, three years with the pandemic and COVID, it's, it's sometimes the crisis can be so global that it affects everyone. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this overprotection is no longer, you can't really do it anymore these days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can I just jump in quickly? Um, Nadia, you mentioned you before we started the show that you haven't been in New Zealand that long. So you've had experience in other parts of the world. Would you say that other cultures and other societies are better at recognizing the individual uh, development levels of children than our Western standardized schooling system? What's your experience there? So I, uh, to give a bit of background on where I come from, I'm originally from Lebanon in the Middle East, uh-huh. and I've traveled a lot and I've lived along uh, a whole six, seven years in um, in the Gulf, in uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh-huh. and uh, that's where my kids started to go to school. And um, there's a whole different um, approach to education. Uh, at least in where I come from, education is like your biggest weapon, let's say. If you are educated, you have more chance to, um, you know, to find that good job. And the mm-hmm. higher education that you have, the more, you know, more secure job that you can get. However, like this education really focuses on academics. If you're not an engineer or a doctor, uh, you, you then you're you're really not successful. It's that real real mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of stress on academics mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pressure on kids uh, to succeed academically uh, and all the other creative um, uh, skills or let's say like art or music or um or sports even like these are you know pushed aside saying sure. oh these are not important and i see it these days in uh in a lot of countries um again from um the middle east or from the eastern countries like from india or from china because i i work from lots of i i work with lots of immigrant families and i see that the the parents um, also come from this mentality that my son or daughter needs to be a high performer in you know the the main subjects maths or language mm-hmm. and the all the other subjects are not important right. but what this what this does to the child is that it sort of uh, represses their own natural gifts mm-hmm. and talents mm-hmm. uh, there are so many high performers 
who um, high performer teens who do well academically, but they don't have that passion for it. They just do it for the sake of pleasing their parents. Hey, parents, right? Yeah. Right. And what happens later, and I see this, you know, in a lot of people where they, uh, okay, they got the degree, they got the college degree, and they went into the job and they do not like the job and they had to stick with it. And, and then the, it's only when they reached, you know, the midlife that they realized mm -hmm. they've been living uh, a life based on someone else's needs and dreams. Right. Right. And, and they have wasted all their youth and, you know, all their life sure. uh, <clears throat> giving efforts where somewhere, you know, they don't want it. Yeah. So, so, so this is what I mostly help my own, um, uh, you know, like the, the people that I work with, the kids that I work with, I help them get clear on what they really love. What's right. that real passion that they have? And then we find a common ground between them and the parents. Right. Uh, and that's the hardest bit. Yeah. So, so Nadine, some gifted children do not develop their societal and interpersonal skills as quickly as their intellectual skills. How do you help with that? I mean, we see it here in, in some in some countries. We see 12-year-olds going into college. Hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're still 12-year-olds um, on an emotional level. But on an intellectual level, they're, you know, they're well advanced. How do you help those children? So again, it comes back to balance, balance mm -hmm. between the intellectual part and the emotional intelligence part. See these these soft skills that um, they do need to be able to uh, have relationships with others, to be able to communicate well with others. There's a whole set of skills that... Um, Schools are starting to get onto that, and they are starting to teach that. But it, but it comes really from um, interactions from daily life, where the parents need to expose their kids to different situations. There's the academic part, which feeds the intellectual side of things, but there's also that part where they have to go out and interact with people. And, uh, um, you know, schools sometimes provide opportunities for speaking and for presenting. So it's all a, a holistic uh, approach to things. Mm -hmm. And I always also stress on something deeper than, okay, the intellect the emotions and then there's something really deeper which i call it soul it's it's like mostly to do with their self-value and self-worth mm -hmm. and believing that they are really worthy of whatever achievements that they have mm -hmm. and this self-worth really gives them um the uh, excitement to learn about all the other things right uh, yeah, the excitement and the motivation, because I, I find a lot of, you know, high performers, they're so focused on one thing. Uh, that's what I'm good at. I'm not going to look at anything else. But once they see that everything is connected and once they see the value of their own, uh, you know, their own self, then they get excited and motivated to look at different things. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I noticed that on your website, you run mother daughter workshops. Do you have any specific advice for fathers of brilliant boys, scholars? Mm. Uh, that's uh, 
that's something I am working on. I'm a mother of four boys, by the way. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yeah. So getting this uh, connection between my sons and my husband, that's that's a real challenge for some dads, especially, um, uh, you know, fathers who come from, uh, let's say, uh, a very... Um, uh, a, a background which sort of oppresses uh, yeah, men to speak their emotions. Mm -hmm. So, like, I find I find a lot of fathers who are just they don't know how to express their love. They they are afraid to be vulnerable. They think that it's a sign of weakness, and they um. Is. So it's it's really a matter of being aware. So every dad is different, but it's it's a matter of being aware, like how um, how much uh, how um, how val how vulnerable can you get when you're expressing your love to your kids? How much mm -hmm. do you share? Mm -hmm. uh, how willing how or how willing are you going to? Um, how far can you reach how to tell your stories how deep can you go and it, it is it is some it takes some work uh, oh sure sure yeah, yeah. so you you talk sorry Catherine you're talking about the way I was brought up um, my parents were British um, and traditionally British people don't show much emotion so I don't think I was ever hugged by my father or hugged my father, right? And I, I'm not criticizing for that. It's just the way things were. When I went off to do military service, he shook my hand. When my boy mm -hmm. went off to boarding school, I shook their hands. And that's how, that's how we were. So I hear what you're saying. I think <laughs> I've improved in the last few years, but <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Back, back to yeah. you, Kathleen. Yeah. So how did you get into this particular field, Nadine? Because... You have a background in engineering, don't you? Yes, yes. So so that's my story. I actually uh, went to engineering school and um, my my parents did invest in me. Uh, I was raised as if I was the eldest boy when I mm. was the eldest girl in my family. And my parents really encouraged me and um, really invested me. And um, so I went into engineering school and I am still a practicing engineer. I currently work as a fire and safety engineer. And um, the way that my work with teens started, um, I used to volunteer a lot at high schools talking about STEM subjects. Mm -hmm. And I realized that it's something I enjoy doing, talking to young people and uh, hearing their needs and listening to what they're going through. And I find uh, I found myself like giving advice and the way the advice was received was in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. So when COVID hit, I decided to create this, you know, online space where I get to, uh, you know, give support to families. And that's how the whole coaching business idea started. Oh, well uh, done. I, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Very good. Very good. So here's one for you. Um, on our business channel, we ask our guests who are all successful in some field of business, uh, is there a single characteristic or mindset or habit in their experience that distinguishes successful people from those that are average? 
And they, you were talking about soft skills. All their answers are in the soft skills category. None of them say go to a good college or get a, an MBA. It's all things like um, communication, asking questions, curiosity, empathy, perseverance, and not a lot more. Hey, Kathleen, I think there's about 10 or 12 right. characteristics, and it's all soft skills. So that bears it out. And then if we've got a minute, um, I've already asked you something I was going to ask you, but you covered that in an earlier uh, comment. Just an experience I had with my younger son, who was my older son was really good at school. My younger son, academically, not so much. Hated maths. He just couldn't handle maths. We got him extra lessons. He he eventually scraped through GCE O level as it was where I came from. And then some years later, he he was farming. He went to agricultural college and got a diploma. And in agricultural college, he had to use maths for working out things like. Uh, seeding rate, how many seeds to plant per acre, plant populations, uh, dilution rates of chemicals, all that sort of thing. And he suddenly said to me, oh, I don't have a problem with that because now I can understand what maths is all about. So once there was a practical application, he no longer struggled with maths. So that's the point I'm trying to make. Do you find that in your teaching as well? Yes, yeah. Um, our, our teens are very smart. They want to know why do we do this? If we can't give them a convincing reason that why do we need this for, they will not really be bothered with taking it in. Yep. And 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 again, that's the problem with, with the current education system is that we are just dumping all this information mm -hmm. on them and we are not really giving them the practical part of it. Right. And. Uh, in in my opinion, I sh we should really start from the other way around. Give them the practicals of of what needs to be done, mm -hmm. and then teach them. Uh, these are the foundations, the theoretical knowledge, and this is what we need to solve the practical side. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I remember this. You know, there a lot of students when I was in school. They couldn't understand why are we learning algebra or calculus? Mm -hmm. People never mm -hmm. use this ever unless you're going to be a mathematician. This is something you'll never have. Nobody, no teacher would explain to us that it's not the point of learning calculus. It's it's training the brain on how to analyze and how to problem solve. But it was never explained that way. It was just mm. that we have to learn this as part of the curriculum. And you're going to have to learn it, you know. And uh, that's so unfortunate. Had had students, if students were made to understand why, as as what you were saying, the practicality of it, it would make more sense to them. I think. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, I do want to add that we have an extra challenge these days. Mm -hmm. We're recording this so early 2024. We've got the rise of AI. We've got mm -hmm. the whole advance in technologies that are happening. And we are in a time where we can't predict what the future can be. There are going to be so many changes. And um, what I tell uh, teachers and parents that the jobs that our kids are going to work in do not exist yet correct so it's it's we do need to start focusing on their resilience and their skills as a you know their soft skills and their intellectual skills as a as a high level instead of focusing on topics and knowledge mm -hmm. because we, they need to be prepared for for what's coming and what's coming oh. is the unknown that's right. 
And something that's happened certainly in the last 20 years is that the traditional job idea of, of the same career for life has, has fallen by the wayside. I mean, even yeah. even my generation, I'm probably on my fifth or sixth career now, different career choice now. And it's it's even worse for the 20 and 30-year-olds, right? They're, they're looking, many of them, at a job lasting two or three years, and then it's obsolete, and they've got to move on to something else. So exactly what you're saying, we just don't know what's coming along the road. We're getting towards the end of our time. So from my side, thanks, Nadia. Thanks uh, to our audience for listening. And a quick reminder to our audience, you've had another really interesting guest with lots of good information today. To make sure you don't miss out on our future guests, sign up for our newsletter. Hop onto our website, theyackingshow.com. You'll find a form. Sign up. We only send you one newsletter a week, and at least you'll be in the picture of who's coming on the show every week. And that's it from me. So thanks again. And back to Kathleen. Well, Nadine, one last question for you. How do people contact you? Yeah. So you can find me on my website, parentingbrilliant.com. And uh, I do give free discovery calls where um, I just get to know you and uh, listen to your needs and listen to your family's needs. And it's a totally unobligational call where we just get introduced. And I do like meeting new people. So um that discovery call is really fun for me. So, oh, uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll encourage so, all of our audience to uh, to to uh, give you a shout out. Yeah. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And thank you all once again for tuning into our show. If anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, we invite you to visit us at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form and we would love to hear from you. So until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.